everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. All right, cool. And I can see, I love Matt already, because he's walking around. I am a walking around guy when I'm in a meeting and talking, too. I love it. He's there. Look at that, man. You can see him, that webcam, catching him in the distance. I'm not turning mine on. This is Wayne. I'm the host here today, because I have satellite internet, and I will just eat up the bandwidth that I have, and that's why I'm using a phone, actually. I can, I'm watching my video of Matt, but I'm not going to turn my webcam on. You don't need to see me anyway. I'm just the guy who's going to be asking a few questions and then turning it over to Matt. But anyway, let's do this. A couple of logistics things. Um, put a one in the little question and answer box if you're hearing us all right and seeing Matt jump around. And you should also see something on your screen, too. Got a bunch of ones. All right. So that's working good. Secondly, put your questions in that same box whenever you have them. We will be screening them, and, and we'll figure out what the right time to ask them of Matt is. We will get them all in. Don't worry about it. Just put them in there. And then lastly, put in where you're at in the world. We always like to know where our audience is at, just a little line on the Q&A box. You know, I'm from Australia. I'm from China. I'm from wherever. So let me just tell you right now, Matt, we got people from Maryland. We've got Copenhagen. It is late at night in, in Copenhagen. We got New Zealand, Puerto Rico, Virginia, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, British Columbia, California, Tennessee, Bermuda. Whoa, every, we got it covered. So with that, uh, no further ado, I'm just going to actually turn it over, let, let Matt say hi, and then we're going to spend about 10 minutes me asking him some questions, and then he's going to go into his presentation. So Matt, say hi to the group. Hey everybody, it is so wonderful to be here. It is, I mean, it's a wonderful day out. It's been such an awesome like week preparing for this talk to share with you real solutions, real hands-on answers and techniques and concepts that you can put into practice today in your lives to be more prepared, to be more resilient. I I love doing this. I'm a teacher. I love I love being here with Wayne. Wayne, you how many, how long we've we known each other? It's been years we've been doing this. <laughs> we we met at I think initially at Permaculture Voices Two in San Diego, and I think that six years ago, maybe now, maybe seven, and it was in February. My son and my son was with us, and he was eight years old. And now he's got a mustache. He's almost as tall as me. Things have matured. It is, it is so wonderful because it's funny. I mean, you, you bring that up because I was still a high school teacher at that moment. My Kickstarter was in the middle of itself at that point. It was, it was closing. The final days were closing at that event. So I was still like... I wasn't even, I hadn't even become yet. I haven't even released the book. So yeah, you knew me at the beginning. <laughs> cool. And everybody, and I'm not saying this just because I'm a friend, the guy gets eternally younger over time. And it's crazy to hear that his son is 
has got a mustache and is there now. So anyway, uh, that's awesome. Um, tell us a little bit about your, you were doing this a little bit as we were warming up. Tell us about where you grew up. Tell us about your early family, let's say up until kind of when you went out on your own and sort of um, all about that. And what motivated you to get into what you're doing now? Well, I don't want to ruin too many things from my, my talk that I'm going to give because that'll always okay, ties in. Okay, so don't, right? yeah, skip the things that but, are in the talk. But, Go ahead and don't worry about that. But, but I, will, I will mention that um, I, I was born in, in New England and I, I started ski racing at age six, started skiing when I was only two years old. I grew up in a family where I was the third born boy. So I just kind of kind of keep up with everybody. <laughs> everyone was better at everything than me growing up and so I learned that the only way that I would keep up the only way that I would be able to you know get a finger hold in any kind of like grip on anything um, was to outwork everyone and so that's like kind of my superpower is I'll uh, I'll work and I'll work <laughs> I'll work um, and I'm also a third born boy so I tend to ask people for advice so I tend to go to people like Wayne people like like Darren Doherty people like Rosemary Morrow who have decades of experience and then I, I ask them for their advice um, and so those those shape me in a very fundamental way with the way I approach the world with how I, I, I see the dynamics around me <laughs> socially um, as, as, as implicit um, because I was born into a dynamic. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think though, wow, well, let's get really personal for a second, I guess. Um, if you look at pictures of my great grandfather's family, they're wearing overalls and they're barefoot in their gardens and they've got goatees just like me <laughs> so i think in many ways i am a throwback genetically epigenetically um to the way my my ancestors lived um my that family line my mom's grandfather's line um they lived on a Native American reservation in Nebraska. They weren't Native American. They were renting land from them to, and, and they, there are, their children grew up among them. And so my great grandfather grew up knowing mules as transportation and died seeing us travel to the moon and space travel. And so, and he lived to his nineties and he started his life surrounded by gardens and farming and he ended his life just focused on living in peace with with his gardens and you know saving as much food and seed as possible and I feel like I never got to really know him I, he died when I was a baby and there's a few pictures of him holding me um, but I feel really connected to my ancestors and to the way that I believe we were we were evolved and born to live in, in in relationship with nature, and so I mean, whew, that's 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 kind of like what what I what I think about it. Um, 
when, when I think about like my heritage and all that kind of stuff and my past and family. Um, I'll talk about it a little Not differently, sure. more personal sure. and, 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 and like action oriented with my life. Um, but I think that's kind of like why I had this seed in me um, because I, I have this past. And my mom was, my mom created special ed, the first special ed curriculum for middle schoolers. And her mom was an English teacher. And so when I discovered permaculture wasn't available for kids, I think that there's another, like, like our hearts, you know, our hearts are, are, are being passed on in many ways. Um, and so I think that my heart is just tied up in that as well because of that. Awesome. Well, that's really cool. So I guarantee the next couple sec questions I ask will not be something you're going to talk about in your, uh, in your talk. Um, <laughs> tell me about a tool that you've used in the last 24 hours, now that we're all a little bit homebound, that is so cool and you just, you don't even have to think about it and you want to share it to somebody else. It can be an online tool, it can be a physical tool, it can be, you name it. Tell us about it real quick. Um, yeah, so biochar. Uh, I, I use biochar constantly um, to try up problems uh, just like em and i'll talk about this in the presentation <laughs> but um but biochar um well you know i'll talk about something that i'm not going to talk about in the presentation there is this hedge trimmer that i know it's random a hedge trimmer right but there's this hedge a cordless hedge trimmer that's battery powered and it's unbelievable and i i've been using it in some of my more recent videos and it's absolutely incredible for, for mulching in place. And most people are like, you know what? I want to compost. How do I chop and drop and make this thing like work for me in a way that doesn't like end up you with scissors like and your hand just, you know? So I just go back and forth slowly in this kind of swaying motion. And it turns into mulch, like one to two inch long mulch as I'm doing that. And so it's, it's unbelievable um, as a tool. And I use it almost every day um, now that, I, now that um, like spring is arriving and we're mulching and moving things around. So that's, that's an incredible tool that is kind of um, maybe someone will be like, hey, man, I thought permaculture is only, you know, you know no batteries and just hand tools. <laughs> and it's not it's it, there's a wide range of that uh natural farming is definitely part of that spectrum um and i do tons of hand tool i'm a hand tool guy but um but also uh, this tool is absolutely ridiculously incredible for saving time awesome, awesome. last question then i'm gonna let you go into your presentation this one is sometimes tough for guests but it's it's actually one that'll really show a little bit of even deeper insight into you. Um, tell us about an experience you've had in your life that at the time seemed incredibly negative, but as you now look back on it, it, was in, it actually turned out to be having an incredibly positive outcome, it did, whatever the results were. Be as intimate as you want to be or as vague as you want to be. So there's one of those in the presentation, so I won't do that one. But I will tell you that I, 
I have suffered with um, with digestive issues for a long, long time. Uh, for as long as my wife has known me, I've had stomach issues. And uh, I was diagnosed with Crohn's at a certain point, and I I lost my aunt to Crohn's um, after I had learned that at some point, and she was only 52. And so having like pain, like be this constant thing as part of digestion and part of not digesting and just dealing with pain constantly um, for years and having to eat the most nutritionally dense foods so that I don't overwhelm my digestive system with too much volume has been the only way and being very highly selective and I, I've, I've followed a crazy path. I've been vegan. I've been raw vegan. I've been vegetarian. I've been, you know, um, paleo. I've, you know, I, I, I've, I've done it all, it feels like. And I've had to craft this, this path. But as I've done that, it's funny that you say that you think I'm getting younger and younger. I am stronger and more flexible in certain ways than I've ever been. And now that I'm, I'm like hiking every day and getting more physically active, even more, um, I'm just getting stronger. And I'm realizing that the strict diet, this requirement of like this really, you know, valuable food that's hard to get, but you got to DIY most of it to get it. You know, that kind of path has forced me to be prepared for this very scenario that we're in. And that, and, and it's, and it's taught me about good food and it's taught me about nutrition and in, in doing that, I suddenly have way more energy, way more ability to understand, articulate and perform. And it was like holding me back, but then I fixed it and it launched me to this new level. And, you know, we say in permaculture, the problem is the solution. Well, I think that it really was a problem that many people in my family are facing that I was able to figure out because it was so bad for me, like for me personally, it was so bad. Um, they have milder versions of basically of what I deal with, but it's amazing. You know, I don't drink alcohol, but it's amazing to hear certain family members stopping alcohol and suddenly they can digest things they couldn't. And then, you know, so like it's like the choices, the path. There's a teaching that is happening. There's a feedback loop, um, observation, humility, all these kinds of things that comes into play if we are receptive, if we are open to it, and and that's that's been a huge part of my journey. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, that that that's pretty intimate, and we thank you for for your honesty there. I'm gonna just. I'm going to let Matt go on with his presentation, and he's going to just take it away here in a second. Before that, though, some people are having some audio challenges, although when we asked people about it at first, we just got lots and lots of ones that saying that their audio is fine. Let me just say this. If you're using an Android or an iPhone or some kind of a cellular device, your audio is going to have to um, be changed on your phone and it might be your volume control it might you might be it might automatically be muted you're going to have to check that 
Secondly, if you're if you're if you're in the U.S., if you go look at the email that you got notifying, you can actually call in. So you can watch the slides, see Matt on his on his webcam, and then you can just call in in here. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm I'm on a phone. I'm not on the internet. And that it's a it's a number you get even even if you're in Australia or I think in Europe, there's actually a a, a non-toll a toll-free number that you can call for that also. So again, I apologize to those that can't, but most of you are hearing. If I'm trying to help those uh, with the chat session and that are not having a good time on the hearing side of things. Apologize for that. Anyway, Matt, why don't you just go ahead and take it away? I know you've got a wonderful presentation. I think he's scrolling some of the slides now in the background and go for it. People ask your questions if you would while, you, while he goes. I'm probably going to let him just kind of continue till the end, but we'll make sure to get him answered. And again, we'll keep trying to help you on the audio side for those that aren't getting it. Most people are still saying that they are. Anyway, take it away, Matt. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is an incredibly important talk. I spent all week on this. And I hope that you're taking notes. I hope that you're ready to screenshot because this is going to be an information-rich experience. But first, who am I? Well, you know, I'm a normal guy. I grew up in New England, kind of like the Horn of America. Um, my, my plan growing up was just to go fast. I was a skier. I loved to ski. And then when I had knee surgery at age 16 and couldn't continue doing that, I became a musician, a full-time musician. I became a rocker. I was in New York City, played with people like this. That's John Cusimano, that's Sean Pelton, and that's Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. I met my wife while I was a musician. We got married. And actually, it was funny. John married Rachel Ray the, same, the year after I married my wife. I'm in his band. Well, I was in his band for almost 10 years. And then we had our son, and everything was going great until my wife got cancer. And that changed everything. That changed our priorities. It changed um, what was important, and we left the East Coast. I left that music career behind, and in a very short period of time, even after trying music in LA um, and having success there, I became a teacher. I became Mr. Powers. And I was a kooky teacher. I was kind of a crazy teacher. I had a lot of fun. We taught cooking. Um, I kind of, I, I, I saw English classes anything, right? We had our next son, and cancer kept coming back. And so we realized that we had to be more aggressive. We had to be proactive. We couldn't just hope that things would, would, wouldn't, um, wouldn't go bad. We had to actively do something to fight against it. So we turned to food because that was something we could control. So we, did, we, we were trying to find our affordable organic food for eating and juicing, which as you probably know, is hard. Affordable is hard. The only affordable organic food for eating and juicing is a huge DIY gardening system. And in our region, we were dealing with soils at 140 degrees Fahrenheit and wildlife pressure, like deer, like crazy. And then I was getting, I was dealing with mounting debt because I was buying all these, this food. We were dealing with all these treatments, seeing all these doctors, and I was just a teacher. So permaculture really was the solution to all my problems. 
And ethically, earth care, people care, future care resonated deeply with me. And as I've come to develop that understanding, um, I've gotten to see how it applies to everything, how it interacts with everything. And how adjective regenerative is what we live, how we act, what we're doing, that's the descriptor. But permaculture is the noun, the lens, the concept, the idea behind all of it. And this is me in my garden that was throw sown. Um, this is one of many gardens that I, that I literally threw seeds on the ground and watered. And all of this is edible. And I created living fences because I couldn't afford fences. At one point, I was using um, sticks and drilling holes in things to make pegs So because I didn't have uh, uh, screws or nails and I couldn't afford to buy any. Um, with the, the, the hot soils, I was able to just use mulch and water and take things down from that crazy, crazy heat all the way down to 76 Fahrenheit. Now, that, that, that's absolutely ridiculous. And I know it's 50% like numerically, but when you get into measurements of these degrees and you look at the everything, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not that exactly. Um, but it is that numerically, and so that's why I put it there. And I started saving seed. And so I started growing incredible seeds. I started to be able to grow, you know, in, without watering in dry soil. This is three months with no water in those hot, hot soils, throw so on the ground. I was able to grow incredible things. And then I was able to launch my own books and get support and help people all over the world and work with people all over the world, experts from all over the world. So seven crowdfunding campaigns later, 16 books, nine online courses. I'm in schools, in colleges, in stores, in libraries, in multiple languages, now accredited on all continents but Antarctica. What I've been working on is creating the academic bridge to the regenerative economy. Just like my mom created curriculum that didn't exist, um, and then it was adopted into the standards and then into law, that's what I'm trying to do with regenerative science, with permaculture, applied permaculture ethics in our science, making science hands-on, making it ethical and making it truly matter to the students instead of it just being, trust me, there's these small things inside things and you can't see it. I'll show you a picture of it, but these special people who have been selected out of everyone who get to look at these things, just tell us that they're real and sounds like we're in the medieval times or something, doesn't it? And so it's really important that we allow people to develop their own understanding and build their belief their their true understanding and verifying of these things like i mean realistically all you have to do is have the children have microscopes cheek cells and look at it themselves at a very early on age and they would believe us when we say like molecules atoms and get you know go visit the local university and have them actually look at electron microscopes and anyway i could go on forever about this because i'm so passionate about this because i know that this, this is the missing link in our politics, our, our economy, our relationship with the environment. Like it all starts with education. So that's why I've been focused there. But th that, that's me. So that's who I am. You know who I am now. But 
that's not a doctor. So, so keep that in mind when, when we talk today, because this is what we're doing as a family. You can screenshot this. I'm not a doctor. This is what we're doing. Um, but today is not about opinions. It's not about health advice or about mindset even. Today is about hands-on, external, pragmatic, and critical things. We're talking about making you, your communities, your families anti-fragile, resilient, and regenerative. So this is the chart everyone's copying right now and passing around, and, and this is what the financial district is also looking at. Um, notice some complexity here. I'm not putting up the chart that everyone else is putting up now, which is a simplified chart that goes, shows the three waves, okay? Because look at the bottom. They keep saying it was 19, 19, 18, and, nine, and, and, and it's the two years. Like there are two flu seasons that are separate, when in fact it's months that the waves were separated. So this is the reason why everyone is really concerned about this pandemic not ending in a few months or 30 days or something like that. And in the financial sector, they're, they're already um, preparing um, for, for lockdowns. Um, but, but look at this for a second. Notice how New York doesn't have um, a, a bump in the front. Notice how New York's the highest and, and notice how um, the bump is only significant on some of them. And notice how the third one is more significant on some of them. So there's a lot of complexity here. There's a lot of um, X factors here. And so we want to apply that when we, when we talk about these kinds of things so that we don't get caught up in the simplistic headline fervor that tends to happen at these time periods in history because we are at a historical time period. The waves aren't one year apart, but months. The financial sector is preparing for lockdowns next fall and winter already. Um, and you will need food and water, medicine, power, and fuel, regardless of whether things are set up or not. You know, you're gonna need these things because we just want, we want life to continue. And, and that means like when they say mainstream services may all be interrupted, like we're seeing the seed companies get shut down or have shortages or run out when we're seeing that there's food shortages outages disruptions rationing what happens when everyone's home and everyone's watering a garden in a city that has limited water resources what happens when like we literally are going to reach the maximum capacity in strange unexpected ways unless we think about these things unless we're prepared. And that's what you know, permaculture really is about. Um, so rationing is already happening. Lockdowns are already happening. Disruptions are already happening. But why me? There's, there's other guys, I'm bass playing, you get gardening. The gardening is cool, but why me? But the, the specific time period, okay? Well, I was in New York during 9-11. I was 19, no, I was 18. And I was in lower Manhattan. I lived on 3rd and 9th. I was going to NYU. And this event changed everything for me um, and really derailed 
a lot of things and gave me anxiety, depression, maybe you could argue alcoholism. Um, but I came out of this time period shell-shocked. And I lived in a lockdown city with military checkpoints. People just walk around with machine guns, people looking at you like you could be a terrorist. And then everyone being told to report anything suspicious you see, so look at things with suspicion and fear. And the red alert, magenta alert, constantly bouncing thing in the rumor factory. And I've lived it. And I've had to do years of work personally to undo a lot of those reactions and, and predilections that I developed in that time period. And so, I mean, first off, I don't drink anymore. I, I meditate, I do yoga, qigong, breath work. I focus on gratitude, I have affirmations. Um, we have family prayers. I mean, we do, we, we, we go to the fullest to cultivate um, peace in our home and peace in ourselves. And so I, I, I'm just like seeing all this play out again. I'm seeing the, the mania, the fear. And I, I, I recognize it. And so that I'm coming from that space. And I'm also coming from a space where when we lived in Washington, we got snowed in for days and the power lines were down and the water pipes froze. So we had no water, no power, no escape other than going through the snow in the woods down the mountain literally like we had one yeah they are we won snowshoe pair you know and we would have had had one person just run down and try to i don't know but like that was that was the idea is that we didn't have enough water um and it was crazy but we figured out a lot of things and through those stressful times we learned how to, you know, make a compost toilet in a bucket that doesn't stink. We learned how to, you know, um, we learned how to not use the toilet because the toilet uses so much water. We learned how to uh, do dishes differently, to conserve more water. You just start to adapt because of these situations. And I'm also someone who's been seed saving for a very long time, over a decade, and I'm someone who scales. I'm also someone who stores living food, not just um, food storage that you can buy, which I'm going to talk about because at this time, you got to talk about everything. Can't just go and just say the idea. We got to say everything so that everyone's covered at whatever ability and, and access rate that they have. So what is permaculture, especially in this context? Well, it's earth care, it's people care, and it's future care. Okay, so we're going to be doing things that aren't degenerative. We're going to be doing things that take care of ourselves and others. And we're going to be doing things that can sustain and be regenerative and, and, and continue on into the future and improve themselves so that you have more room, more abundance, more options, more freedom as you move forward. So why permaculture? Because I get all that, right, Matt? Come on. What, why? Well, number one, ecological humility. When you understand the context, the holistic context of the human being in the ecology, boy, is it humbling. You realize, you know, that we need to be facilitators. We need to be humble. Hum uh, you know, humus is this fertile soil. 
this living, you know, rich soil that could grow anything. It's open. It's it's ready to be fertile and just take off. And that's what we need to be. We need to be open to suggestions of the natural ecological succession in that moment where we find ourselves and then act upon it. And so being prepared. We, in permaculture, we're designing things. We're thinking holistically. We're thinking of all the different aspects that tie together. And, and then we're doing it so that if there's no power, no water, we have those things stored. We have those things growing. We have those things in the landscape implicit. And then, you know, number three, not number two, didunch, um, being adaptive. This gives us the ability to apply principles, natural principles in real time so that you can adapt and you can find those solutions to new problems, to unforeseen complications that are going to come. And this kind of literacy just allows us to, to really just to do and be what we need to be in the moment. So, I mean, like, those are nice words, Matt, but how? How is this real? Well, I mean, it's really simple. We're talking about food, water, medicine, fiber, fuel, and power. And we got those covered. We can do this on a home scale. We can do this on an apartment scale. But let's talk specifics first, because we're in a high impact situation where we need to respond fast. So fast foods, fast food gardens. This is me. I threw all that around and some of it's ready, some of it's not, some of it's shrouding trees, but let's have this happen in a way that's all edible from the beginning. Like eat all greens. So there are seeds, there are plants, there are things that you can eat from the whole stage through. So quinoa, maybe eating those seeds. Amaranth, maybe eating those seeds. Um, all these things you can you can actually and you can actually throw in the ground and eat the sprouts. You can eat the microgreens. You can eat the leaves, and you can eat the whole plant. And because of that, you can thin and let the bigger winners grow out and then eat all this little guys as salad or like quick saute, because boy, they'll just, just go really quick if you try to saute um, fresh microgreens, they'll disappear. Um, but this is, this is survival food. Notice that a lot of these are kinopodium. Um, a lot of these are brassicas. So um, yeah, and, and also notice that these are all the microgreens and sprouts. And there are more than those in that group. Uh, this is a tray of going right now. There's pea tendrils, there's sunflower shoots, there's onions, chives, basil, cilantro, lettuce, borage, arugula, and so many more. They're selling out like hotcakes right now though. And all the major seed companies are either rationing and selling to farmers only, or they're sold out and closed. So keep that in mind. Go to small seed providers, local seed providers if you can, because they're selling out everywhere. Now, a hidden food forest. Now, this might be a little bit longer term, but it is something to think about when people are concerned about being robbed or having a food storage that's vulnerable. A living food forest, a living food storage of a food forest is hidden. So, you know, they can't, the people that are going and, and, and taking this, the, the goods from people, clearing people's shelves of food, 
if that does ever happen or if it does ever come to that, they're not going to be going and stealing all the unripe peaches. They're not going to be going and digging up your trees. And No, they're, the, the food forest is this investment, this safety, this um, unreadable hidden benefit. And just to go into it for a second, um, the, the food forest concept really is a self-fertilizing system where you have things like legumes that you're chopping and dropping that are providing nitrogenous, heavy nitrogen-laden organic matter to provide more um, nutrition to the soil, more fertility to the soil, but also to help the, the, the mulch in place break down. Because the higher nitrogen levels um, feeds the microbes, and so the microbes can process the carbonaceous material faster. It's, it's really pretty basic and simple once you get into it. Um, so don't worry uh, too much about it. Um, but the food forest uh, concept in the book that you're going to get if you stay is going to cover this. All. all these pictures you're seeing, like this one right here that's awesome, is in there and it's yours. So layers of the food forest, essentially we're occupying all the layers so the weeds don't show up. So um, the invasives don't show up. We're occupying them all, we're planting them all. And in nature, even on the microbiological level, occupation is, is displacement. And if you can occupy the space, you often can prevent anything else from getting in. And that's why people spray things with compost teas and stuff like that. Um, so you could be growing medicinals. You could be also making medicinals. Um, and this is a wide range of things, but from herbal perspective, there's comfrey, there's toothache plant or buzz buttons to make your mouth numb. <laughs> Uh, actually, I actually had a dentist wanting to grow these out uh, and, and, and test them. Um, holy basil, oregano, hops, um, makes the bitterest tea in the entire world. The first time I drank it, I literally couldn't stop laughing because it seemed like a joke. Um, lavender, chamomile, cannabis, all of these herbal remedies um, have their time and place. Fungi. Um, do you guys know about cordyceps? If you don't, um, it allows you to take in more oxygen. Um, it imitates ATP in your cells, so you literally can take in more oxygen, and you can have like literally like like a building block, like punch in with like cord uh, Um like building blocks of energy going into you, like ridiculous. So, and it also specifically is antiviral and specifically has been recommended by professionals and medical professionals um, who are experts in those things and qualified to talk about those things um, for this specific pandemic we're in now. I have cordyceps every single day. William Padilla Brown, this is his picture and he um, uses it all the time too. We're, we're all huge fans of cordyceps. Um, and that's reishi and that's shiitake. They're also antiviral. Fermentation, I don't know if you've heard, but kombucha, lactobacillus, um, other labs, other um, fermented um, probiotics, um, they say they have temporary benefit like when you're using them, but guess what? So does oxygen. So does working out. So don't get all silly with the like no, 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 you know, yogurt only helps you um, when you're eating it regularly. It's like, yes, okay, the sun comes up regularly too. So, <laughs> so, so, so don't get all caught up in like the probiotic bashing that like recently was on Joe Rogan. 
um, it, it's just because something has a temporary benefit and you've got to continuously do it doesn't negate its benefit or its protective powers um, that are legitimate, you know. So keep doing your kombucha, keep doing your kefir. This is our kefir. We're crazy about kefir. So if you love water kefir, you're, you, we're just friends already. All right, so kefir, kombucha, kvass, if you're a beet guy or gal, sauerkraut, kimchi, I'm crazy about kimchi. And then seed saving. Um, if you're not seed saving already, start this year and know that it is easy. It is easy. Just look for the seeds when they're dry. And if, if you're like, well, how dry? If they snap or they can crush and, and not squish, they're dry. Um, and, and if they're wet seeds, you're gonna have to dry them out on trays or on screens. So there's aeration. And if they're super wet seeds, like, you know, like tomatoes or something like that, you gotta let them ferment for a bit, smash them and combine them with water and do a water wash. I've got a video on this um, in one of my courses. So if you wanna know all of like the nitty gritty, have the best resource on just seed saving, Seed Savers Exchange is a peer-to-peer, peer-to-peer, ah, Matt, peer-to-peer -peer sharing um, uh, program that, that is incredible. They also have seeds that they sell um, online. I highly recommend them. And this is one of the, the books that Baker Creek's you know, hotline is referencing when you're asking um, for, for advice from them. So it is totally reputable. It is totally amazing. Now, seed banks, let's say you've gone up a notch. You're like, I got the seeds, Matt. I've got the seeds, but you need a seed bank. You need enough seed for acres. You need enough seed for communities. Um, so you need to be thinking about that. And then food preservation, you know, drying is the easiest, using the sun, but there are other forms. We're gonna have to get into food preservation this year. We're gonna have to, you know, salt things. You know, salting is a very ancient way of preserving food, just like drying. But some things, you know, you salt and they make sauerkraut. And some things you sugar and you make candy. Um, some things, you know, you put in cans and you can keep them on the shelf for a very long time. And some people have freezer room, they put things in the freezer. Um, and there are other things, people are potting meat. You know, that's what like, I think the Amish did. Um, some people are, there's a lot of different like methodologies out there and ancient traditions. Some people are burying things under the ground, but study that, check that out. Food preservation, there's tons of information online. I go over this in some of my courses as well. That's what these pictures are from. Uh, um, these actual recent pictures are from permaculture gardening. Now, bulk food storage, I said I'd talk about this. So survival foods, I tend to think of winter um, because you're gonna be doing more and you're gonna require more calories and you're gonna be more stressed, so you're gonna require more fat. And before anyone's like fat, that's the last thing I need, Matt. Um, your brain is made of fat. Um, they proved that bad microbes in your gut make the plaques that fill people's arteries that give them heart attacks, not the fat that they eat. So it's, it's, it's good microbiology um, and good fats that make us amazing. So I don't have time to go into all that, but, but just this is what I think of, high fat, high, high, high fat, high calories. 
And so when we look in this region, though, we find it's tried and freeze-dried foods. And you're like, hmm. So, so, we, so you got to think about this very strategically, and we're going to go over that right now. So we use Azure Standard. This is a secret um, that you all know now um, that if you don't know about this, this is the only way I get organic bulk. People go to BePrepared.com, Emergency Essentials, and it's like not organic. I don't want that. I mean, so many of the foods and stuff that like we buy are accumulating things. And so much of the non-organic fertilizer is just toxic waste that they've mixed with manure or cow manure from these feedlots to a certain proportion until it's legally able to sell to the farmers. And then they use it in the food and the food bioaccumulates it and then they feed it to us. Well, not me, not you, I hope not, not, right? So Azure Standard, organic bulk, it is affordable. Um, so this is a snapshot into our world. We've been saving food in this way for many years. Um, it's part of what we believe about being prepared um, in our culture and our community. We have um, always had food storage for our entire marriage. We've tried to have at least three months, if not aiming for a year of food storage. Uh, if you've not heard of that before, it is a thing. Some people have entire garages full of these. So what are you looking at right here? Well, it's a Mylar bag with an oxygen absorber in it that um, has been sealed on top with just like a hair straightener, you know, just like uh, anyone's hair straightening, you know, uh, iron. You just use that. You can, you can seal those Mylar bags, oxygen absorbers, suck up all the oxygen, making it last a very long time. And then we just put them into Home Depot buckets that are food grade. And when you're storing wheat berries instead of wheat or other grain berries or whole seeds, they last so long because you don't combine the fat, the oils, and the, and the starchy components. Once you do that, they can start to go bad. And that's why sometimes when you open things, they can smell somewhat sour, and that's it starting to go bad. And then um, flour corn, because, oh man, if you've never tried flour corn, please, please check it out. Because you could just turn it in, like I literally can use my teeth and it shatters into powder. It is not the same as like the break your teeth, um, dent corn, flint corn that we're all familiar with. That is the, you know, cornbread grit that everyone is familiar with. So flour corn and grinders. So this is flour corn. This is at Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds in Missouri. And we are grinding flour. There's a video still online somewhere of this. And um, so you can do this and actually to, to refine that, that's a champion grinder. Um, you can use it for grinding you know, peanut butter. You can use it for juicing. That's a grain grinder on, attachment on the front. And you would run this through multiple screens to get it down to a finer particle level. Because I know you can still see some of those bigger chips in there. So it is doable. Now, powdered milk. This may seem random, but you can get coconut powdered milk, almond powdered milk, so many powdered milks. Now, let's keep going. Powdered milk is important for various reasons. Now, flax meal or chickens provide you with eggs or an egg substitute. Do you see where I'm going with this yet? Um, though feed is an issue with chickens, we're already seeing feed shortages, so you need foraging chickens or chickens that are more prone to um, 
eat what you bring them in your bioregion. Now, alternative thickeners are alginate and chia seeds, um, and then fats and oils, coconut oil, olive oil, butter, ghee, even lard. Um, these are things that can stay at room temperature. They can stay um, for a very long time. And what does milk, flour, eggs, or an egg substitute, or plus fat and oil make together? Okay, so if you said most French food, you get half credit. But, <laughs> but it's breads, it's pastas, it's sauces, it's gravies, it's cakes and cookies. It's survival foods and staple extenders. And I, dare I say children pleasers. <laughs> um, but for real though, like especially at this comfort food time period, um, I know many of us are gluten-free. We try to live that way half the time and be paleo, but the, the bread monsters cometh sometime. And also, I mean, it is survival food. And there and it's a way that we extend our staples. It's a, like I mean, there's a reason why we invented this way of eating, where you take this stable grain mash and then you combine them with water and yeast, which is just floating in the air if it's a sourdough. And then you combine a little bit of food, like maybe a preserve, like a like a like a tomato preserve. So that's your, you know, tomato sauce. And then maybe the little bit of meat that you got or a little bit of uh, the herbs from the garden. And suddenly that is a calzone, an herbal, you know, an herb calzone. And so it's like we use this to, to extend things um, repeatedly throughout history. And I think that that's why in times of stress, so many of us crave these foods and in our stressful um, world we live in, that's why we crave these foods also so much. Now, water storage and purification. Um, this is really not a solution. It is, it, is, it is a cruel joke in many ways because people think that they've got water because they've got a barrel. Even this is not enough real water to, to make a dent. We need tons of water. We need thousands of gallons of storage. It's unsightly. We might need to clad it. We might need to you know, cover it. We might need to add things to it. But we need big, big tanks everywhere because water is life. And if something happens to the water purification of the area we're in, if something happens to the water supply, um, we need to be on top of this. So first flush diverters, make sure that first flush of water off the roof or, or over, the, over the surface doesn't go in there. And then screens, finally filtering out everything. And then using biochar to you know, control uh, microbiology in there and any growth in there, algae or whatever. And then maybe using UV light and other filters um, to make sure that it's safe. Yeah, biochar, adding biochar will control the biology because remember, um, well, I'll say it later too, but biochar is like an ionic magnet. And so it's going to be drawing everything to it like the black hole that it is. And it, it's, it's really incredible. And then using UV lights on top of that as the water's coming out is also kind of a best practice now. People are even using UV lights to, to make filters happen right now on their pool so they can get off that whole chlorine train. Now, Berkey, Aquarain, and more, there are filters that people are using in their house as well. These can be incredibly powerful and useful. Now, 
getting back to biodigesters. I was very excited to talk about this. I want to bring all the energy I can to this because this is a secret weapon. Because the things you can't compost in the normal compost, they go in here and they turn into energy. They turn into methane, which we can burn and we can burn in controlled fashion. And you can release that, the, the moisture and CO2 from that burning into a greenhouse. This is actually, this setup, this was when it first began. This is now under a greenhouse and all my plants are inside the greenhouse with it right now. And it takes fat, it takes bone, it takes meat, um, it, it digests it all. And so all the things you can't compost, you can put humanure, you can put urine, you can put anything in this um, and it will digest it and turn it into a, a effluent that you can combine with biochar and EM and create an incredible amendment for the garden. So EM is kind of magic. It's called effective microbes. And if you haven't heard of it, let's talk about it for a second. Because, it, you know, people always complain about the smell of farming, the smell of having manure, the smell, you know, and you know what? You actually can fix that smell very effectively because EM transforms the stink into amino acids. And so and they're edible. It's, it's yeast, it's purple non-sulfur bacteria, it's um, lacto, uh, lactic acid bacteria. Um, it's these, the EM is these friendly facultative microbes that transform nitrogenous compounds into these amino acids and amino acids are chelators. And if you know anything about cleansing or nutrient delivery, then you know that these are, these are the fairies that we're taking these, we're cleansing with and we're taking in nutrients with. So this is why, you know, if you think about these microbiological brews that everyone's creating, then one of the number one products that, you know, the fungi and bacteria are creating are um, like digestive enzymes and amino acids, which are like externalized digestion. And so they, they go out there and they transform the world around them into more nutritious things. And so, this is absolutely, this cannot be overemphasized. Um, so your, your compost piles, you can be using this to control it. Um, your indoor apartment compost that you're like, man, this thing's going to stink, but I need to make soil because my balcony garden is going to be off the hook and we're in lockdown. You use EM and maybe you've got the worm guard, the, the worm compost for the castings already. You've got the kombucha for the yeast. You, maybe you've got all the pieces. And, 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 and maybe you've got, you know, some uh, bit, bit of the, uh, the, the labs from something like maybe sauerkraut or something like that, um, or, or yogurt or something. But it's all actually, the recipe is in that book. And there's lots of ways to do it. There's lots of ways that people have done it over time. There's a history that goes into this that ties all the way back to Terra Preta in the Amazon. So speaking of, we have to tie in the other side of this, which is biochar, because it's kind of magic too. And again, if you look down at it at a microbiological level, at a chemistry level, you see that it's this magnet. It's like, I want to pair and bond with everything. Ah! And so it's, 
it's going to soak up the nitrogen. It's going to soak up um, all the excess nutrients as well. So, and 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 it's going to make them like the 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 actual availability of them like predicated on the microbiology involved in the soil. So you need the organic matter. You need the living living components. But once you have this, this is where this is your bank for your nutrients. This is your water holding capacity. It's so amazing. So keep in mind biochar, and you can DIY this. Um, you can be doing DIY biochar. We cover that in my course. Um, biochar is like a magnet for soil organic matter and nutrients. Now, when when you want to make biochar, you start with char. Start with that's pyrolyzed. Am I am I good? You're good, Matt. Just, You're doing everyone's sharing you. We're good. Uh, okay. <laughs> so compost is what you would combine the biochar with, or EM, or a nitrogenous component. Like you could be doing EM with biochar and like a, a, a guano or a, a manure source, or or it, it doesn't really matter you would be able to combine it readily into the biochar as an amino acid into that, and you'd be able to spray it on things, be able to soil soak it, it's incredible. But compost is a very easy way to do it in a very passive way. I love compost, and I am not like a, um, a purist, and I, I kind of used to be. <laughs> so, so forgive me if you heard me talk about compost in a more like hot compost or nothing else, man, kind of mode, because I've learned as I've, I'm in the middle of writing a regenerative soil science and solutions book right now that was already kickstarted. And I love it all because everything has a different effect. And if you understand the effect and the variability of effect within that, you can do crazy things. And I love doing crazy things. I love having fun with soil, with soil life, with plants, with animals, with, with my family. I love it all. So, so hot composting, I mean, that's almost always bacterial dominant. Worm composting, it's the same thing. Um, hot composting is a lot of work. Worm composting is passive. Johnson Soup compost is like the best of both worlds in many ways, where it's a passive hot compost with very little um, like interaction. You don't really turn it. It's got these tubes um, that allow for aeration. You pull them out at a certain point. It's fancy and fun, but it's also the highest fungal rates. It's also considered the best for agriculture so far discovered. So Jonathan Sue rocking it. Bokashi, Bokashi compost. That's taking the EM, combining it with other elements to create this incredible digestive compost that you can continuously add to and then ferment and add on as this fermented organic matter. So it's a fermentation process that, uh, that is actually airless. You close it up and ferment the organic matter. Um, but you can EM compost in, in the open too. And because it takes down the nitrogen into amino acids, you can't get hot. And you're like, Matt, well, how are we supposed to control things? Well, think about what's in EM. It's the things we're using to pickle things, the things we're using to prevent things from spoiling well, we preserve them. So it's designed to be anti-purative, anti, um, 
it's designed to prevent um, decomposition in undesirable ways and it controls the heat so you don't have the danger of that pile catching on fire which is the danger with hot compost and then there's Korean natural farming IMO preps there's sheet composting that I just did not sheet mulching uh, sheet composting in place um, that's what I recently did with biochar comfrey and um, daikon radish because they're so high in nitrogen <clears throat> All right, so primarily the way to think about is orchard versus garden. Um, and that's how I see it. That's how I kind of break things down into simplicity land. And fungal means it's more woody, more lignin based. And bacterial means it's more fresh, made out of um, fresh growth, um, more sugars in it, um, kitchen waste essentially. And so the reason that we, we say that is because there is this succession to pH. And so you look at the old growth forest that's very acidic. You look at the beaches where there's weeds, where there's disturbance, where there's tillage, and it's always more alkaline, more oxidized. So um, keep that in mind. Um, and the easiest solution to, to home waste, I would say, is regular EM and biochar additions to a semi-static pile. So it's like you're controlling things and you're also speeding things up because EM breaks things down fast. Biochar is gonna be sucking all the, the, the nutrients up at the same time. It's gonna cause a fast breakdown of the pile. And it's also easy. You're just pouring things on, throwing things on and adding layers to it. Um, yeah, and it will make very good compost. So we really need the, the eco-literacy that permaculture provides to thrive in this time period. And that can come from observation, getting out there, interacting with nature. This is my son as, as a child. He's now a teen. Um, and, and, and foraging, going out there and finding food, finding what's out there on the landscape that nature has to offer. And it really boils down to adaptation through observation because every living thing is in communication with the world around it. You know, we talk about edge effect. Well, everything is touching something else. Every, all the edges are interacting. Everything's in communication and in response to each other. And if you can observe life around you closely, you can read and respond to this natural communication. Practicing permaculture develops that lens. So surround yourself with nature, even if it's your balcony in your kitchen or your, your porch or your backyard, but surround yourself with nature. Build towards abundances that you can store, save, and invest regeneratively. And maybe I should add barter or trade to this, right? Um, so this is just, you know, this is my amaranth from one year. And it just shows you what throwing on the ground can get, it's so much seed, this filled a whole barrel of seed. And what happens is when we have a regenerative home ecology, it spills over into a regenerative local economy. And that's what we're missing right now. And that's why we're seeing shortages. We're seeing people who are very scared and worried. And we're seeing all these different agencies kind of scramble because we don't have a regenerative local economy and that's what this moment calls for. 
So how do I know all this? Well, I've grown the gardens and saved the seed. I've represented Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company as their spokesperson and garden expert. I've coached folks in all climates and I've coached hundreds and thousands of people at this point. And I've done the research. I've worked with people all over the world and been taught by people all over the world from expertises of such a diverse range. And I've written the books, gotten them peer reviewed, and I've built the courses around them. And I know, I know that you can learn it and you can do it all. What I saw happening with the farms that began to learn how to use the probiotic technology was that they were becoming independent and free from the hydroponic stores, from the ag sellers who were pushing these chemicals to them. So, so you open up your dams up on these sites, and you go all over Australia now, and there's dams on these sites because they don't know necessarily where that technology came from, but it did, and then everyone else followed. Sort of a Chinese whispers followed after that. Any swimming pool that has a pumping system in it and holds water on it can be converted into a biological system with just a few added additions. And I'm not saying you, at that moment, uh, that if you would say yes to that project, the foundation right now, you would have all the pieces, all the insights to scale up so fast. Okay, I agree with Ken, who came to feel like. 50 years of work, experimentation, meditation, that nonviolence is what makes us free. There's about 250 different kinds of ladybugs in North America, and um, they, the different ladybugs eat different critters. Soil is better. Everything is about the soil. You can have the prettiest garden in the world, but without that soil, you're not there. It is the highest form of digestible protein in the entire planet animal kingdom. More than soy, more than beef, more than chicken, all of that. Why? And what was that keyword? The keyword was digestible. And this is really important because our pattern literacy is the key to us operating at our best selves, at our highest like, operating capacities, at you know, our smartest selves, our wisest selves. And so we want this. We need this. And so peak performance, but they figured out is that we are enlarging our schema, our understanding of the holistic reality using patterns. So this is the Advanced Permaculture Student Online. And it is a design course, it's a per PDC, a permaculture design course, which is design-based, which is a piece of paper or a design on the computer, but you plan out your entire site, your entire farm or homestead 
or even a regenerative business. But then in our program, which is what makes it unique, is we have an advanced permaculture design certification where you make that design real and it becomes a living regenerative project that, that you get to show people that this is what you do, this is what you've done. And this program has over 70 expert teachers, over 150 hours of instruction, live Q&A, group discussion in a 700 plus global community. And it has lifetime access. So when you finish your education, then you apply it. And then that begins the true feedback loop. And in a community, the growth is exponential. And so we're, we're a community, we're a family, and we're constantly growing, we're constantly learning. And today, we have an incredible offer. We have half price, we have 50% off, $750 off, because I want us all to live more regeneratively. This is the opportunity, this is the beginning, and I want you to join us. My program is, is I spent years working on this program and my students, I have had hundreds of students take this course and the feedback I have is unparalleled. Folks are saying it's the best course they've ever taken. People are saying it's more powerful, more valuable than a four-year university education. And I, I would love for you to join us and check it out. And this special deal is, is, is for you all. It's for this time period of uncertainty and and I, and I hope that it serves you. There are the books that go with this course that we're gonna be sharing with you, the Permaculture Student 2 and the Permaculture Student 2 workbook. They are, let me see if I can just um, stop the screen share here and go to myself um, as a presenter so I can continue talking. But, um, this is an incredible opportunity. And I thank you all for being here, for choosing to live more regeneratively. And, and yeah, if you have any questions, I'm here to answer them. Wow, Matt, that was awesome. We apologize everybody for the little glitches, but I hope you were patient enough. I'll tell you, we, we probably have 95% of the people who started that are on with us now. Mark, would you make sure to, make, to now be sure that everybody gets the two books. So if you're going to put those as downline loads on the site or links, I have already put up onto the chat page a couple times the link that Matt just showed that he talked about, or, or excuse me, the, the way to get into his course, the course that he just talked about with that amazing discount. And Matt, we have lots of questions. So I'm going to, go back towards the start and make sure I don't miss anybody and just kind of scroll through these. You know, a lot of questions and thoughts about, about biochar. And here's an inter really interesting one. Um, can biochar be used to, to um, basically neutralize, that's, that's my word, not the questioner, um, cat litter? Yes. Um, because the smell, the stink is actually value leading. Isn't that funny? The, the, that the nitrogenous stink, the ammonia, the, like the, all the different nitrogen compounds that can gas off, they 
are the smell of value leaving the system. So if you had EM, especially EM, because biochar, you might have to add a, like more than you would, and then biochar is expensive. So I would always be making EM to pair with it because it's so powerful. It's it's a game changer. And when you do them together, you really have the ability to control smells. Awesome. So this is a comment that there's a little, there's a question in here. Um, you talked about fiber in the diet, and he talked. He, a comment was um, same issue with too much fiber for cattle when fed when they're fed and cannot be harvested until a late stage of growth. You know, what are, just a little bit of thoughts on that in terms of of cattle feed and and how it can be enhanced, especially with young cows. Remind me of the context on my end. Well, I, it was very early in the presentation. That's why I, I quickly wanted to go back. I was catching these from the starts. Um, you know, I, it was when you were talking about digestive challenges, yours, and yeah, and and he brought he put it in there. So I and he might you might want to let me just get the guy's name here. You might want to just restate that question in the end of the chat here and we'll get back to it. Um, okay, all right. You know, yeah, interestingly, you Jeffrey Potent is gonna be one of our speakers. Oh, I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, I was just saying that I was balancing all things right. Yeah, Jeffrey Potent, who's gonna be one of our speakers coming up, he's amazing and he's actually done a guest lecture for us before, says many permacultures have come to the field in response to digestive challenges. You're not you're not unique in that way. So there's lots of people that have have, have gone there. Uh, let's see, scrolling through here. You are going to get a copy, everybody, of the presentation as well as a replay that'll be available. We'll ask Matt for his slides for the keynote, and we'll get those for you. Um, and and then also there will be a replay that will come up. Some of you are on your phones and. It's not easy to see some of the size of, of things on the, on, the, on the phone. Let's see, just go in here. Um, by the way, somebody was watching on a Raspberry Pi. Wow, I haven't used one of those in for a long time. Um, okay, Alicia, by the way, threw lots of really cool links in. Um, so please look at those. So here's one, Han Pons asks, can you comment on perma the permaculture principle of benefiting the community, not just you as an individual? I think you did some, but maybe elaborate on that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. There, there's really not um, a tradition of social permaculture standards. And so I kind of had to write them uh, myself. And so, yeah, no, I really think that there needs to be an emphasis because people care tends to be like glossed over, I feel, because um, it, it is difficult and because it demands um, a, a high, high level um, from us individually. So, so in my book, um, Principles for People Systems, um, it starts by talking about your relationship to the other, to others. So treating others better than they expect to be treated, show trust and be trustworthy, be clear, set clear boundaries, educate by example, share as much as you can, similar to the return of surplus, right? Be self-reliant, be prepared, because 
often, if you're not, and I say right here, while seemingly in juxtaposition to the last principle, the first step to helping others is being able to help ourselves, especially in relationship to unforeseen complications. Planning and preparation are vital components of self-reliance. And then be patient, be local, be open, be timely. Solutions, not complaints. Smile first, you know, that's me, right? Family first, work first on what matters now. Always innovate and adapt. Don't take offense, be better, look to elders, celebrate common interests, listen and make space for children and youth. Include everyone when possible. And I put when possible because I'm a high school, I was a former high school teacher and some things are just private and don't require everyone to be involved. <laughs> But but for real though, I totally feel that um, that question very strongly because we haven't had clear working examples from a principal standpoint in permaculture. Um, we've had individuals uh, like Rosemary Morrow, who was the first to apply permaculture to humanitarian aid in Lesotho during apartheid South Africa timeframe. And she's also the one who got permaculture implicit in government training for food resiliency in Cambodia. Um, so yeah, no, I, I really feel like permaculture's, the beauty of permaculture is what I've tried to describe with the abundance side, because it gets so much on when you're so self-reliant that you end up with too much milk, too, too much squash, too, and, and it's a business sharing, it's, food store, it becomes this, this asset that you can use for the betterment of yourself and others in the world around you. So that's the real remarkable stacked function beauty of permaculture is that, you know, what helps you can also help me. And what helps me and helps you can also help everyone else and the natural world around us. And there's such freedom and and deep integrity in that and integrity is a strength like if and i know we all know this but if you haven't done things on a daily basis that build your integrity like yeah i did that today that's who i am that's what i am giving you know sacrificing you know teaching sharing you know all those kind of things that that make you greater in a truly great way through which is the only path to greatness that, that I believe in, which is, which is service. So I'm with you, um, and thank you for bringing that up. Matt, that's a great answer. Boy, everybody think about that. Think about integrity and in everything that you do. Here's a little more practical one. Um, give, give some advice about water saving for people who live in apartments. Okay, so I would say the number one thing to do in an apartment, because that's essentially what we were in. We were in a two bedroom house um, that was snowed in and we put frozen pipes. So the number one thing is to stop using so much water because literally that's like, that's what's gonna get you. You know, it's like the toilet and then it's like the washing of the dishes, um, they'll get you. And so, I would say compost toilet, get a seat in a bucket, get a bag of biochar, get some EM, and, and the components to continue to make EM, um, and maybe 
get something like, um, and I don't know if you guys can still see me on the screen. Are you guys with me on the screen? Can you see me? Can you make me visible? Yep, I can. Yep, you're there. So this makes biochar um, at home, and it actually um, burns the gas off the wood, so you end up um, with this really efficient um, way of making biochar and cooking food, and you have this little fan, um, so it burns cleanly. So you're making biochar cleanly on a smallish, not 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 massive. It's not tiny because the baby one's here. <laughs> so this is the tiny one. <laughs> but but for real though, this on your balcony in New York City, um, you could be cooking with this. You could be making more biochar with this. Um, and, and then you're you're not using your toilet. You're turning your, your, your waste and manure into compost. You're saving tons of water. And then you, let's say you have your sink. Well, when you're doing dishes, have a tub of water for rinsing and have everything be totally rinsed and, and basically clean, except not clean, right? Not, not, not functionally clean, but I mean, not microbially clean, right? So it's like cleared of substances in the rinse side. And then you've got a side that is that is soapy water and then a, a another another um uh a new a new rinse thing. So what's happening is that you're getting everything off with the dirty rinse and then you're using the soap, getting it all soapy, and then you're putting it into a rinsing situation where maybe you're running a little bit of water, rinsing things off into another bucket. And that other bucket is going to be the next first rinse water. So you've got a three bucket system. You are literally shuttling it along. The third bucket, which is the clean rinse, becomes the dirty rinse next time. And you suddenly are saving water. Um, water catchment. If you can collect water from anywhere even in like like an umbrella tarp outside on your balcony in an apartment and have it funnel down into a bucket that can help you um a lot of the places where there are cities um they do get decent amounts of rain um and may not be year round but but yeah they do so you could still be collecting water um you could be saving water and and I think yeah, I think that's pretty good. Unless you have anything else to add, Wayne. <laughs> the only thing I would add, and I live on a you know I live rurally with water rights on billions of gallons of water in ponds, twenty two of them. So I can't relate totally, but I have lots of my friends that live in apartments. The only thing, other thing I'd say, go to your if you live in an apartment with multiple residences, work together. This goes to the community again. Work together with your neighbors and seeing if you can come up with some ways that you can, you know, move water, which you can do even during these times. So, um, by the way, you, you answered another, the very next question, Matt, you were really thinking with the audience because it was, you know, how can I make biochar? And you actually already had the, the devices, so that was cool. Here's a very cool question, but before I get to it, Mark, how are, could you just chime in or read? Make sure, I want to make sure everybody's getting the books. So where did you put them? I've been so busy with the questions. 
I'm not sure where they're going to see how they get them. Okay. Then, Mark, then you to, chime in? Yes. Then you to expand the handout section, and there will be the, the uh, book there, PDF version. So it's the, oh, okay. Uh, I see it. Right at the bottom, everybody, there's the handout section. So you can, you can see it there, and that's where you'll be able to get them. And, right. And yes. also, he showed, it's all one he kind of scene. Cool here. Uh -huh. I want to spill out, but I want you guys to see this. So we talk about saving seed. We talk about scaling up. This is just one kind of seed. I don't know if you guys can see in there, but that's all one kind yep, of seed. We're seeing. So yeah, this is sorghum. So this is one of my throw sow seeds, one of my five cousins, and that's that's all food. So I could we could eat that like today if we wanted to, but it's also something that I can throw in the ground, barely water, and still get five heads of seeds off of it. And I mean, I started with five seeds and I still had the seed pack from originally when I started and it gave me like so many, it gave me like an entire giant bag of seed when I did that from just five seeds from five plants. So that's how powerful this is. That's what we're talking. We're talking about like exponential growth. We're talking about, you know, we can feed ourselves off the land um, and we can feed ourselves easily. Awesome. So here's a question from Alicia about your thoughts about how permaculture fits into a mentality related to a circular economy or a sharing economy, both the same sort of thing. Um, sharing economy or circular economy? Well, I, you know, she says, she actually says sharing. So let's, let's deal with sharing right now. Okay, sweet. Yeah, because circular is a regenerative economy. That's where everything cycles and everything. Um, that's what permaculture is. That's what the ecology is around us, all from the oceans to the skies, everything in between. You know, that's, that's what it is. Um, the sharing economy is always a component, whether you're talking about the economy of a family, economy of a garden, economy of the rhizosphere. Um, sharing is always a component, um, and so that's what charity is, that's what people care is, um, compassion, um, whether it's, whether you're, you know, you're, I mean, there's so many different types of forms of capital too, right? There's like eight forms of capital, um, and so, so I would say that the sharing economy um is always implicit and a component of care and a component of people care um but I, I i see that as also a component of the regenerative economy which is the new and emerging economy where we partner um with nature as a part of the way we do business in such a way that all the purchases and all the services that we provide enhance the natural world around us as it serves people. That's a, that's a great answer. I'm going to comment a little bit on that one, only because Sweet. both circular and regenerative and 
sharing economies are such a passion for me. And, I, and, and here, I'm going to just take it a little differently. And that's that when you sit, when, I think when most people think about the sharing economy, they think about a situation where some asset is in an abundance and it's underutilized. Okay. Well, one asset that's in abundance, it's over underutilized, you've already talked about, and that's integrity. And so we all have it and we underutilize it. The, mm. the, uh, my ranch is a great example. I've got an abundance of land and much of it is underutilized. So the way that I deal with that is I invite people who have a passion to to do something valuable with the land to come in and provide their passion to use my abundant resource. And I don't charge them for that. Instead, I hope we share, I learn from their passion, they get benefit from my abundant resource. So, and the same thing could apply to, again, the whole water concept we talk about. Water actually, if we think about it right, is not in a lost situation. It is in abundance. We just poorly utilize it. And so if we use it in a better way, we can do, we can deal with that. So anyway, that's just a little different take. Um, here's one from Diana or Dina, I think, which is what's the current theory, excuse me, of cooperative living or modern villages in a permaculture concept? And Yes, the second question is what would be the governance model? That's probably a little bigger question for a, maybe a different time, but it's a, it's a good question about, again, community. Lots of people, I think, Matt, today are thinking about community because we're so isolated and everywhere in our lives, most of them. Yeah, so I think that there's, there's only a few examples of successful eco-villages and communities that are that are currently still around. Um, the back to the land movement had a lot of communes start um, and the language softened into um, like eco-villages and cooperative living spaces. Um, I've seen a few places that do it well and when they do it well, they focus on a mission statement that's very, very clear and behavior driven. And so, there's a business side to it. There's a religious side to it. There's something that you, yeah. So the, the ones that have survived are the ones with clear mission statements that, that are kind of um, not all encompassing, but a very strong thread that affects behavior. So there are ones that are focused on Christianity. There are other religions. There are ones that are focused on um, lifestyle. There are ones that are focused around businesses um, and, and some that are focused on like not having any money and everything's communal. There, but there are, there are these very high bars being set. And if we look at successful businesses, it's the same thing. So you go and you go look at Amazon and you're like, whoa, they've got a really well-developed, same thing at Google, really well-developed culture that drives and controls the behavior. And so if you've got the, the mission statement, you've got the inspiring 
and also very specific behavioral implications, then that becomes the touchstone for behavior, for discipline, for discussion, and for decision-making within the community. I think holacracy, um, I talk about that in my book, is, is really good. It can be a little bit hard for people to understand. Sociocracy is a little bit easier um, for, po for, for folks, but you can still get bogged down in having uh, consent be, be the only vehicle, because if the people don't all consent, universal consent, then you're stuck. Diana Leaf Christensen does uh, a lot of information on eco-villages that have been successful. Um, she teaches on this. She lives in an eco-village. I am more of a village person, less like cooperative in each other's business kind of thing um, because of what I've seen. And also I've been living communal, I've been living in communal living situations since seventh grade. So some folks are like, oh, I went to college, man, and we lived in a dorm. And I'm like, yeah, since seventh grade. That's what I've been living. I've been living in co-ed dorms since seventh grade. So, and it was like my roommate in seventh grade went to the Olympics. So it was like high pressure situation. It wasn't like, like camp. It was like people fighting, people being like hyper intense, people blowing out their knees, people getting surgery, people, you know, I mean like people almost dying. Like these were very intense individuals. And yes, there, there was fun times and wild times and everything in between. But, um, but yeah, no, I've definitely lived it. Um, and I've seen lots of different forms of communal living as well and studied it, been attracted to that idea at different times. I think that the village concept is, 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 is very powerful and the village economy concept, the local regenerative economy concept is actually the only way that, that we have survivability of these things. Like if we don't have a vibrant local guild of businesses, then a village can't sustain itself there. So it doesn't matter like what, you know, we want to do if we don't have, you know, the food, the compost, the, the, the way to deliver the food, the, you know, all those different components worked out and mapped out for that community, then, then it won't thrive. And so I really think that because the world is so diverse, because if we study, I'm a history teacher too, by the way, I was a credential history teacher in, in um, California. I, I, I just have such res respect for all the different cultures, for all the different ways of doing things um, that I bring up these things like holacracy and sociocracy with respect and the understanding that um, we can apply these things in our own unique way and everything. Um, but people are going to do it differently. And so we, if we show the principles behind it, we show what we're aiming for behaviorally, then the organization of that, whether it's holacracy, sociocracy, or something else, like uh, a village style system where you've got uh, associations based around the economy and uh, the, the season and the growing and, you know, those kind of things. So, yeah, I, I, I love the concept. I'm, I, I, I've studied it a lot. And I think that if we don't define it too much, 
We lead by principles, we lead by integrity, we have strong mission statements, and we make sure that everyone is interviewed on the way in and has their expectations in alignment with, uh, with the mission statement and the project, then it is possible. So it, that was a long-winded answer probably, but it's a hyper-in-depth question, I would say. You write a book about that. No, it's awesome. <laughs> you know, I think you're right. It is. It, it's one that demands a lot of attention. Now we're going to get into a couple really technical ones, probably shorter answers. The first one may be very short, but you know, this fellow is is worried about water, and and clearly he he's very interested in things like swales and key line principles. Does the course involve teaching in depth at all about either of those two methods? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Darren Doherty is one of my mentors. And very early on when I was getting into permaculture, he took me aside and says, listen, mate, you've got to have this in your book or else you're not actually making it to the next, like, to the actual rigor level that professionals are working at. And so that's, that was the first second edition I ever did. <laughs> Um, it's it's not available. Um, the first edition isn't even available anywhere because I replaced it on like, like I actually replaced it in situ, um, so that everyone would get the right information. Um, but yeah, no, I've been working with Darren for years on this. Uh, I was in Rex, his program Rex, and he is a peer reviewer, a good friend, and I'm also a huge huge fan. I'm a gigantic fan and I have enormous respect. If you know permaculture and the co-creator, co-founder of permaculture is Bill Mollison, the other is Dave Holgram. Bill Mollison had two protégés. Most people know about the one, Jeff Lawton. Most people don't know about the other one that was born on a key line farm, raised and among the key line hydrology that's Darren. So Darren is, is the, I mean, he's the one who World Bank hired to fix the hydrology of Vietnam. He is the, the, the one that's like the carrying on the PA Yeoman's um, hydro, hydrological tradition. And I'm so blessed to have him as a teacher in the Advanced Permaculture Student Online. So I, I, I go over it, we do it on paper together. I show multiple examples of key line geometry in practice from principles to on paper. But then we also have Darren Doherty, the leading worldwide expert on it, talk to us about it. And, and he was actually in that video talking about PA Yeomans, dams on hillsides, traveling like, you know, whispers. And, and yeah, no, I'm a huge fan. And in fact, without key line geometry, you really can't scale the solutions that we're talking about. And that's why PA Yeoman's key line geometry is in Bill Mollison's The Designer's Manual. And he relies heavily upon it. Because if you look at Australia at history, um, PA Yeoman's was a best-selling author, a farmer who was a best-selling author in the 50s in Australia. So his influence is inescapable in, 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 in Australia. And he heavily influenced Mollison. So absolutely, if you would like to deep dive uh, with me on that, this is the place to do it. Awesome. <laughs> By the way, similar kudos from me related to Darren. And, and that is a little known situ you know, circumstance about the, the, 
the first two mentees of Mollison. Here's a real technical one, Matt. I know you're going to be able to have an answer. Matt, this is from James. By the way, that last question was from Emil. Uh, Matt, would there be any problems with inoculating a static compost with oyster mushrooms and topping it with a couple of inches of soil to start a garden at the same time? So are static you compost are, um, with mushrooms. So my, my question, though, is are we taking the inoculated substrate that is inoculated with oyster mushrooms and putting in to have just flushes of oyster just to look pretty? Because I wouldn't be putting the oysters in there. Um, it's not going to have the food source it needs. There's not going to be enough nitrogen. It's not going to have the fuel to br like break down anything. It's all going to be all diffuse. Um, there's very specific, and oysters are crazy. Don't get me wrong. Oysters will eat cardboard, will eat, you know, uh, coffee grinds, but they do need a nitrogen source. And if it's static, that means it's not hot. And if there's no lignin, you know, because it's static, what, what is it going to eat? So I, I, I really would, wouldn't recommend doing the, the oyster part. But if you would like to learn more about this, about how you can work with the oyster, or in this situation, you might even do wood chips and King Strafaria instead with, with the compost in layers. Um, and that might go really well, also known as wine cap mushrooms. They're great in the garden. Um, but yeah, we go over mushrooms uh, like in depth in my course. I have radical mycologist Peter McCoy, who was recently featured in um, fungi perfecti, Paul Stamets, incredible movie, fantastic fungi. So, so he's the whole he has a whole week on fungi, and he's the one who wrote um, Radical Mycology, which just is so fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And I mean, I can tell you right now, using this book, what the substrate you know needs are for oyster. Uh, we just would go down here to. Um, well, elm oyster is a little different. Let's not do elm oyster. Um, let's do pink oyster because people know that one. All right, so pink oyster grows on nutrified sawdust, uh, pasteurized sawdust, um, and then pasteurized straw. Think about that. So you can be doing pasteurized, which is you know water boiled straw or steamed straw on your on your on your kitchen you know uh, stovetop and then logs and stumps um, outdoors which is incredible um, so yeah you can do this you can get into this um, yellow actually grows on is that eucalyptus see it's got a chart here and sometimes you got to trace it along here elm whoa the yellow oyster grows on elm but these kind of resources by our teachers in my course are I mean, in my world, they're legendary, but they're 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 world renowned, um, and I'm privileged to to host you know over seventy educators that are, are that level, that are graduate school level, um, PhD program level, that are breaking things down into day to day speech, into actual physical actions. I work with Dr. Elaine Ingham for almost six years now, and half the time I'm like, okay, Elaine. So what is this actually like? What can I, how can I like physically make this happen? Or what is it 
what does it look like in real life, you know? And, and that's what we do. We take these giant concepts and make them into pragmatic, practical skills, actions, and behaviors. So um, I love it. And, 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 and we can help you out with that. Mark, by the way, a lot of people, so this is not a one-person problem or having trouble getting the link to work for the book. Um, we're going to do this, everybody. Make sure that, you know, tell, don't tell others. This is supposed to be just for you guys. Um, we'll put it into an email that we send out just to the people who stayed to the end of the webinar. And we know that, by the way. Go to webinar tells it. We'll send out links that will for sure work to both the workbook and the, 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 the other handout book that we described. But it's just the, but it's just the textbook. Um, so we can, um, I'm going to put it under the chat. Is that good? Yeah. You yeah, we can put it in the chat. And this is just pure download. This is what, you know, uh, where I send my folks after they've joined my mailing list or joined one of my courses. So this is just a pure one-click download site. Um, enjoy it. This is a book that took two and a half years of work. I literally, at the end when I had run out of money, I was working 16 to 18 hours a day, and I admit my health was failing. <laughs> I've learned how to better take care of myself. I, I don't push myself as hard as I did now as I did then with this book. This book took a lot out of me. This is the greatest, uh, it's, it's the greatest book I've written. Um, it's the longest book I've written. It involved the most people, the most input, the most revision, and it is my greatest work uh, that is written. I would say the course is my greatest work in total because it includes this. It includes the audiobook version of this book and it includes the audiobook version of the workbook as well, because so many of us need to um, do things with our hands, and we need to just hear the information and maybe pause and look at the page, because I did it as a video audiobook, because so many of us want to be able to quickly refer and see it and go, oh, that's what it looks like. All right, I gotta go back and back to work, and I wanna respect that. Back to a little more of a, a sort of a, a biological type of question. Uh, Bess asks, what about hormone and pharma, pharma concerns in humanure? What are your thoughts about that? Hormones? Um, I mean, if we're talking about like hormone replacement therapy kind of hormones? I, I just don't no, see how those I think, things would No, survive. I think they're saying that in human feces, there will be hormones, steroids, other things that will those be broken down by the humanure process? And, or will they not? Absolutely. It should be a concern as we use that then for some kind of a soil um, additive. Yeah, so humanure is, is, is a hot topic, haha, <laughs> punny, but it's, it's really <laughs> about the person. If they're unhealthy and they're on tons of medication, then that humanure is going to be very difficult to work with. If they're eating a lot of meat 
it is also going to require intense amounts of carbon to pair with it because it'll be so high in nitrogen. Um, I I always go with the folks that have done it extensively and the people that have done it extensively and done the testing extensively on this are showing that it after a thermophilic time period and after a static time period so we're talking about you know six months to a year of breakdown it is completely safe there are no from healthy people there are no concerning levels of anything. And that's because hormones, steroids, all of these things are biologically interactive. And these microbes eat them. And they break them down as they're broken down, as they're consumed in a generational changeover. And as those changeovers happen, there's an, there's a, an accumulation of soil organic matter, carbon, humus. And that, that, that is really what it's all about. All of our manure, humanure, must turn into soil. It's designed to turn into soil, but we must be honest with ourselves. We must keep our thinking cap on, do the testing, be aware, and do not hide from the truth that there's chemistry involved. And the reality is, if we have specific heavy metals, we need specific remediations. There is not a magic wand substance trick um, that takes care of everything. For instance, if we're dealing with organic um, like compounds um, that are negative. We're dealing with pesticides, herbicides, um, things like Roundup. Uh, you know, things that are, we're really worried about. Well, you can use ozone, you can use um, ultraviolet light, and you can break those things down. But then you're like, wait, but, but what about the heavy metals? You can't break those down. They're an element. And so let's say we were working with Roundup. You broke it down, but now there's um, uh, formaldehyde. Um, you know what I mean? Like, and so you've got to continue the process, testing, and follow that thread and fully remediate the soil or human or, or compost, um, whatever it is. And I know people want like, oh no, just do this. But when we're dealing with contaminants, humans have made an, an exotic diversity of contaminations through unlocking Pandora's box of the, the fossil fuel industry, better living through chemistry, um, using coal tar to make all the synthetics, the synthesized medications, you know, like Tylenol, all those things, that's all coal tar. And with Monsanto made a deal with the government early on to turn all that coal tar into um, medications and sweetener, vanillin. And actually, you know what the first thing they did with coal tar? Think about this, the first coal tar it was a derivative of coke production, which is refined coal. It's coke. Keep that in mind. And, and then the first things they developed with coal tar, Monsanto did, was vanillin, aspartame, and caffeine. What does that spell? That spells Coca-Cola, people. So coke, the name that they tried to get away from for years, 
kind of seems like it was part of Coke production. Um, and there wasn't a Coca-Cola before that time period in history. So, um, yeah, yeah, we gotta, we gotta really think about all these things as we do them and understand that there are histories that we've created this problem, that we need to be honest with ourselves, we need to test. And luckily, we've got incredible individuals like Dan Kittredge and others that are making highly sophisticated meters and testers so that we, and there are other people doing this too, so that we at home can test our water in real time, can test our food in real time, can know what our children, our wives, our husbands are eating in real time so that we can respond and protect ourselves. Because otherwise, I mean, in reality, um, we're flying blind. Awesome. So sorry if that um, introduced the complexity. On the sensor topic, if you haven't watched um, the uh, webinar that we did with Dan just a, a couple of months ago, just before the just before the the the, the pandemic began, uh, you should watch, go back and watch that because of the sensors. And then if you guys want, and I, I'm not going to put it in the chat or anything, but guy named Peter Diamandis is probably, he's the founder of X Project and Singularity University. Um, he publishes something called Future Loop that is a daily free newsletter that you can get. And he's, he's really focused on, on the pandemic right now. Today, he published something about a group that has developed an app for our phones that will listen to a cough and determine if it has those elements that would indicate it's a cough of, of the pandemic. And that, that makes total sense. Now, whether that's a, you know, whether they've gotten it refined enough, but it is absolutely probably very possible that that could be real. So anyway, that, those kinds of things are going to be happening. Um, got, we've kind of, we've hit a little bit of a lull in questions. Why don't you guys throw some last ones? We've been two hours here. It's a little, we kept Matt on a huge amount of time. You guys have been patient. Most of you are still here too. We've had some amazing comments. If you guys enjoyed this, put some more ones in the chat. That's the way we that we applaud online. So just throw, just click a one and, and say you've liked it. Bunch of Nick says a whole bunch of ones. Um, Rachel, Bat, Bess, Gavin, Brian, EJ, Julia, Daniel. John, uh, Maurice, anyway, just saw Sean, a whole bunch of folks. It's awesome. And Matt, would you one more time, we put the links hey, into the chat. But yeah, talk, so talk about, talk one last time about the course. Just say whatever you'd like. There are links all over in the dashboard. It looks like the book is downloading now for some people, and, and the link that Matt gave is awesome. By the way, we're going to have a webinar sometime on a tool that I didn't even know you use, Matt, you probably knew we did, but which is Kajabi, a great tool that you guys could use for a variety of different purposes. And, and so anyway, we'll, we'll actually bring on some, uh, a Kajabi person and do a webinar about that. But anyway, uh, Matt, just talk about the course a little bit more and one last chance to get a couple more questions in, not a lot. Anyway, keep going. So yeah, I noticed that there are several of my students in this course, or I mean, in this talk, this webinar right now um, from APSA, the Advanced Permaculture Student Online. 
And these students know the incredible resource that this course is. It's not just a way to get your PDC certification or your advanced permaculture certification and launch your product and get the support, troubleshooting, and feedback you need to actually make things happen, right? Um, but it's this community. It's, it's this growing new way of living and it's snowballing and it's growing and it's getting more and more excited. It's exciting. <laughs> Um, but but people are getting more excited. People are, are getting more active. And it's just incredible in this time period of uncertainty of pandemic, the reaction within our community. There's this hope, relief, and there's this confirmation that we've been preparing for the right things. We've been thinking about the right things. We've been making the right steps and investing in ourselves, in the environment in the future of our family and community and the future of our world. Because what we do today has ripple effects. The choices we make today in our families, our communities, our personal lives are going to define the rest of our lives. And that's you know true at any moment, of course, but right now it is completely unique. People are at home, stuck, People are having to face their problems, their addictions, their limitations. People are getting sick of being sick right now. People are fed up with the status quo. They're like, you know what? I'm not going back to that job. They, or they fired them and they're like, you know what? I can't go back to that job. I need to find a new path. They need to figure out how to save money. They need to figure out how to, in this toxic environment, thrive. And, and, and survive in some cases. And for me, I, I came out of you know, the 9-11 New York thing with my wife fighting cancer and then fighting debt. And then, so this has been like years of dealing with these kind of stresses, saving money, making extra money, making the food happen, you know, trying to do all these different things to make things work, to get by, to thrive in the face of unforeseen complications, of difficulties that are outside of my control. But I do have control over how I react, how I prepare, and my, my daily behaviors. And that's really what this course gives, gives everyone who takes it. And I've got pages and pages and pages of feedback, like crazy amounts of feedback um, on this course. I've got more, more quotes than I can ever get through. I have to keyword search them to get through it to find things that are specific to what I'm thinking of that in that moment. And every time I do that, I read new reviews that I put in there. And they're telling me that it's the best. Why? Because their projects are real the information they're applying doesn't fail them. It's not like, you know, you're getting something and then we're running away. You're with me. We're together. And it's not just me. There's 70 other experts. There's 700 other students from every biome, every climate, every possible region that you could think of all over the world. And they're going to give their input because we're a community. It's lateral. 
I'm a facilitator. I'm not like gonna, you know, tell people what's what. I'm very open to reception. And so there's this amazing conversation that happens in our course where people are coming to the course and they're actually experts in an aspect of the course and they're able to jump in and give 40 years of experience on aquaponics and and it's it's absolutely thrilling so if you want to be part of not just a learning experience that takes you to a place of anti-fragility of stability of resilience of regeneration but pathways to a community to models for new ways of life for models of new businesses new you know the architectures of entire systems of culture also from the perspective of a diversity of cultures from the perspective from a diversity of individuals from those cultures men women young old all different religions all different bioregions all coming together with one voice to talk about the the amazing complexity and also universality of our world and how every one of us can navigate it in an empowering way that is integrity bound that every day you go to bed knowing that hey i did the right thing today you're grateful for being alive. You're grateful for generating, supporting, restoring, remediating life all around you. And you know, this is who you are. This is why you are. And it'll get better and greater every day. And you're excited for the next day. <laughs> yeah. And that, what a great so way. We're going to invite you all. We're going to kind of end it with that, everybody. Just to be patient. You know, Matt. Um, Brian, there were there were hundreds earlier on. Some have left, but I just want to say this. We're going to end with this and let Matt take a breath there. You shouldn't, Matt. We're going to send this out an email, but just to, there are about 20 people in here who have commented on your course. Um, but I'm just going to mention some names: Gavin, Matthew, Brian. Um, just amazing. Just um let me make sure you know that i catch several more there's at least been john sandra uh julia um i mean just amazing everybody and then let me just say one last thing this guy isn't just good and this isn't just good or great information he's also a humble caring amazing guy he is allowing those of us that help him with this to make what is called an affiliate income that is un, no one ever provides it. I want, I'm not going to give you a number, but it's huge. I mean, it is hands above anyone else. And we're going to be using that to, to greatly enhance the things we do with this course. And if you, if you buy this, this course through the links we put on here, we're going to give you a bunch of other bonuses that just because of that. And we'll do whatever we can any time to help Matt you know, in everything that he does. We just we can't we can't even imagine someone that we'd be willing to help more. And you guys, all of you saying the same thing. So anyway, Matt, just a couple last words and then let's call it for the evening. 
Thank you so much. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Arib. Thank you, everyone on the team. Thank you, everyone who's come to, to listen, to participate, asking your questions. And thank you so much, all my students that are here, that are just here to support and fun. I appreciate you. I love you. I, I love this stuff. And if you love this stuff too, if you want to, to start on this with me, join us, click on the link and start on your regenerative journey. And that powers grow abundantly, All right. learn daily, and live regeneratively. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT community podcast.